Isn't it good to be in the presence of the Lord? I mean, isn't it good to come to church and be uplifted, to be strengthened, encouraged? Isn't it good, like, I hope my voice holds out from all the shouting from, for victory, you know, because the Lord, he's, he's the victor, isn't he? I think I raised my hand for every single thing that I was delivered from. I'm like, boy, my life was, seems like it was a mess, wasn't it? But you know what? Hey, more, Lord. Deliver me more because I want to be more like him. How about, isn't it good to have leadership in this church who lead and walk with the Lord? I'm thankful personally for the leadership in this church, for Pastor Carlos, for, for everybody. Let's make this a, a, a plan. If you know a leader in this church, try to bless them somehow. They're doing the work of the Lord. They're leading us, and it's great to be here. How about, isn't it good to be in a church where you don't leave like worse off than when you came in? <laughs> I've been in a few situations like that. It's not fun. When you leave church, you're like, boy, I feel more depressed or more weighed down. No, we leave here like lightened, right? Encouraged, strengthened. You know, even when there's a, a, a hard word or something, you know, something like a heavy word or, or a convicting word, you know, in the past few weeks, Pastor Carlos has really been bringing some deep words and truths. You know, I pray my prayer that we're not like the rich young ruler. Do you remember that story with Jesus, the rich young ruler? He ran to Jesus and said, Master, Master, what should I do, you know, to, to be saved, basically? And, and Jesus says, well, you know, obey all the commandments. He's like, well, I do this, this, and that. And Jesus says he loved him. He loved him. He said, well, you only need to do one more thing. Go take all your stuff, sell it, give all the money to the poor, and then come on, come follow me. And what did that man do? Oh, ooh, Jesus, right here. That hit me hard. That was a heavy word, Lord. But you know what he did? He walked away. I can't do it, Lord. Nope, sorry. He left worse off. But what should he have done? <laughs> start dishing out that, start and going and following Jesus, leaving lighter. He probably would have been an apostle. He probably, some people actually think he was Barnabas, who, you know, Barnabas and Paul and Saul. It's uh, up for debate. But anyway, he, Jesus specifically called him, and he walked away. But my prayer is that when we hear a word from the Lord, we take it and we run with it, and we're better off than we were before. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your presence. Your presence is all we need. Lord, we hunger and thirst for righteousness today. We set ourselves open and bare before you that you may look on our hearts, that you may change our lives, and that we may go from this place stronger, a winner, more in tune with your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray for your anointing today to bring forth the word. May the people have hearing ears. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we play the video? One day, God told the prophet Samuel that it was time for a new king and sent him to the house of a man named Jesse. Jesse had seven sons and brought out each of them to meet Samuel. Samuel told Jesse that David, his youngest son, would be the future king of Israel. Shortly after this, an army of the Philistines, Israel's enemy, set up camp on a hill right across the valley from Israel's army. For 40 days in a row, a gigantic Philistine warrior named Goliath would walk down to the valley and mock the Israelites. 
one day when David was visiting the army camp, he heard Goliath taunting the Israelites and asked why no one was willing to fight Goliath. After getting King Saul's permission, David went down into the valley and shouted to Goliath, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. Goliath and David charged toward one another. David pulled out a stone, put it in a sling, and flung it at the giant. The stone struck Goliath directly in the forehead, and then David killed him with Goliath's own sword. This victory caused David to become so loved and respected that King Saul became very jealous. Saul tried to kill David, but David escaped into the desert. One day, Saul was in a cave and David snuck up on him. But David could not bring himself to kill Saul. When Saul realized what had happened, he made a peace treaty with David, promising he would not kill him. But not long after, Saul became jealous and tried to kill David again. The Philistines attacked the Israelites and killed all three of Saul's sons. When Saul heard the news, he was so upset that he took out his own sword, fell on it, and killed himself. Then, David was named King of Israel. He made plans to build a giant building called a temple as a place to worship God. God said a temple would eventually be built, but by one of David's sons. One of David's descendants would become a king unlike any before, one whose rule would never end. Awesome. If you want to open your Bibles with me, if you have it, to our text, it's uh, 1 Samuel 16 and 17. I think we're going to have the scriptures up on the monitors too. So here we, we picked up this week from last week with Saul, or excuse me, Samuel. Saul was rejected. Samuel was supposed to anoint a new king. God rejected Saul. Saul wanted to do his own thing, right? He wasn't about what God wanted to do. And if you read, uh, there's a scripture in, in Acts, actually, that talks about this, about what God wanted to do when he rejected Saul, Acts 13, 22. And, and when God removed Saul, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. So here's the key thing, what's going on here. You see, God was looking on the heart, not what men are doing, right? So Samuel, he's a little confused here. He's like, okay. He's, he goes to Jesse's house in Bethlehem, and uh, he's, you know, he's looking for this new person. Now, remember, the guy before Saul, how did everybody choose him? He was like the Tom Brady, right? He, he was the superstar, the stud. He was a head taller than everybody else, a mighty warrior. Yeah, this guy's going to lead us to all the victory, right? Yeah, this guy's a superstar, Okay, but what was his character like? He could care less. He couldn't care less, you know, what God wanted him to do. He did his own thing. Well, that doesn't work with God, does it? So God rejected him. He needed a man after his own heart. And so here Samuel is. He said, hey, line up these sons. So Jesse brings out seven sons. First one looks like Tom Brady. He looks like Saul. He's a stud. Samuel's like, yeah, this dude, he's the new king, right? Because they're used to 
looking on the outward appearance. But what does God say? So 1 Samuel 16, 17. No, that's not it. Sorry. Seven. Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him, for the Lord sees, not as man sees, but looks on, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. You see, God saw what was underneath. God saw what was hidden in secret, what, what, what we can't see, you know? I can look on you and, oh, yeah, my wife, she's so beautiful, you know? But I, now I know what's in her heart, right? Because I, I found out what's in her heart. But you don't know. You, know. you don't know unless you know her, right? You just see the outward appearance. But God knows. So here we are in the story. So we see David. You know, David is one of my heroes. He's, I mean, he's just awesome, right? I mean, King David, he's the best. But how did he get there? That's what I want to know. When I, when I hear that God looks on the heart and that he... He called David a man after his own heart. I'm like, well, what does that mean? Because that's what I want, right? I want to be a, God, a man after God's own heart. So I got to find out, how did David win? How did he become king? How did he slay the giant? How did he uh, get away from Saul? How did he become in the line of Jesus himself? How? Well, if I had to give this message a title, I would call it The Two Secrets of David's Success. I think there's two overarching themes in David's life that led him to all this awesomeness, to this success. So back to Acts 13.22. Here's a key, the very first key of David's success. God said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Okay, but what's, what's next? Who will do all my will? So the number one point of having a heart after God is that you will do the will of God. Isn't that above all else? That's, fault. That's Saul's uh, shortcoming. He didn't do God's will. He did it his own way. But God looked, and he saw David, hey, that young boy, in the fields with the sheep, that boy will do my will. And so he chose him. There's another scripture, Second Chronicles 16.9, that says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. Yeah. That scripture is just a foundational truth of who God is and what he's doing, isn't it? He's looking for someone with a heart after him. And, and what is he going to do for that someone? Give him strong support. Everything God has, he wants to give to all of his people, right? That's why Jesus came, right? So we could have that opportunity. He's looking. He's looking. You, uh, no, 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 no. Uh, yeah, here's one. And he goes, keeps looking, skips over all these millions of people because they don't care. Here's one. Here's a someone who will do my will. You see, God's will is his heart, right? Now, does that make sense? What is God's heart? If I'm going to have a heart after God's heart, what does that mean? A heart after God's heart. God's heart is his will. In other words, he wants to share his will with everyone. 
That means he wants to share his heart. Whatever's in God, he wants to give it to all of humanity. We know that just because we're Christians. We know the sacrifice of Jesus. He gave his only begotten son. He gave. That's his will. That's his heart. So having a heart after God is doing his will. Having a heart that wants to do God's will. Also, David, talking about having a heart after God, he had a childlike heart, if you think about it. I love children. I think children are the best thing on this planet. We were driving to church one day, I think it was on a Wednesday night, and over at Star Elementary, they must have a little soccer practice or something, or, you know, I'm not sure exactly what it is, but all these little kids running around. And, uh, and so we, this one night, we saw these two little kids, like, running, and they were just skipping and running, you know, in front of their parents, just they could not wait to get to whatever practice was. And I'm like, that is just so awesome that children just love to have fun. They just love to be alive, right? We were at a track meet a couple Tuesdays ago, and I tell you what, track meets in the spring are brutal. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, Ohio's like the only place you wake up, you know, with the heat on in the morning and the air conditioning on at night. I mean, it's terrible here. So this, and track meets are usually in the middle of nowhere, which means the wind's like 50 miles an hour. So we're huddled, you know, behind like this shelter building, just trying to stay out of the wind. You know, we couldn't even, the bleachers are like in front of us. We can't even see the track meet, but we're freezing because we thought it was going to be warmer. So, you know, we didn't bring enough clothes, which usually happens every time. So if you're ever to track meet, always bring extra, you think it's going to be warm? No, bring a snowsuit, you'll be all right, okay? So we're hiding. Monica and I are huddling, just like, this sucks, you know? And so I'm looking in the bleachers, and this little girl, she was probably four years old, she was in flip-flops and an open hoodie, you know, with like capris on, just running up and down the bleachers and, and swinging from, you know, the bars and like making, you know, taunting people as they were walking by. Like I think one of them was their sister and like, hey, 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 you know. And just she just loved to be alive. She had a child's heart. And the innocence that comes with that. And that's what David had. If you look at his life, and he had a child's innocence. In fact, doesn't Jesus say that we should be like that? Remember when Jesus was with his disciples and the crowd of people were all around him and, uh, and all the children were like, you know, coming around him and, and people were bringing their children that Jesus would lay their, his hands on them and bless them. And his disciples, you know, they're so like, you know, serious, you know, and rigid, you know. They probably invented like the religious robes, you know, <laughs> that the priests wear and things. And they're like, keep the children away. They don't belong here. And what did Jesus say? He's like, chill, dudes, Chill. Bring those children to me. And he sat a child on his lap. And he said, unless you become like this child, unless you change and become like this child, you're not going to even get into heaven. You know? And his disciples like, uh, huh? You know? Does that mean that we should be, act like babies and be childish and things like that? No, because remember the Apostle Paul said, you know, I put away childish things when I became a man. But at the same time, we have to become like children in our hearts. And let's go one step further. I think God has a child's heart. Hmm, that might sound interesting. I think God has a child's heart that always believes the best of every person, that always has faith. Think of children who, 
when a child looks up at a parent, he thinks or she thinks that parent is God in a sense. They don't know any better. You're just the whole world to them. I mean, they just love you unconditionally. Whatever you say is the truth. They don't even know. I mean, there is a Santa Claus, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> there is an Easter bunny. There is a tooth fairy. They don't even know. You know we know, obviously. No, you know, it's silly, but they believe anything. You could tell them anything, and they will believe it. That's the child's heart. And isn't that how God is? He just believes good for you. He just knows you're going to make it. Even when you fail, does, does he give up on you? No. He's there every time. He believes it. He knows it. And he's not naive. He already knows the end from the beginning. He sees it all. It's all laid open before him. But he knows there's a chance for you. He has a child's like heart. And no matter what comes up. Also, uh, children, they're not tainted by the world yet. A child's heart just accepts and believes and is full of life. You know, our hearts many times, and I know I raised my hand today, you know, we're wounded, we're weighed down, we're abused, you know, in our lives, and it puts a barrier up on our heart. But children are honest. They'll tell you whatever. <laughs> my wife and I, we had the chance at another church we went to to teach Sunday school for three- and four-year-olds. And so I tell you, that was the best thing ever. You know, if you don't think you love children, just go teach them three- and four-year-olds. They're the best. I mean, they'll say anything to you, and they're just so cute. And there was one little boy, one of my favorites. His name was Jorge. He's four years old. And uh, he was just so precious. And I remember one time, like, Jorge, what did you have for breakfast this morning? And, and he's like, Papa, si carne? which is meat and potatoes, basically, you know, in Spanish. It was just so precious, you know, and his little reasoning. Uh, I won't even go into all the stories, but it was just, to, just to see that they would hang on every word you say. They just believe you. And when I would, we'd read stories out of the Bible, they were just right there. They were, they were with David slaying Goliath or whatever. They were just, and they would, they would say simple prayers, and they trusted God. At three and four years old, that's a child's heart. That's what David had. David also had a righteous innocence and anger. How many people get angry here? <laughs> Righteously? Oh, no. <laughs> Let's read the scripture here. So it's the second scripture, 1 Samuel 17, 41 through 47. I'll read it out. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you would come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with the sword and with the spear and with the javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, 
and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with the sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give me into your hands. Or give you into my hands, sorry. I felt a little Muhammad Ali, like, you know, coming on that speech. You know, it was a righteous anger. Something rose up in this young boy. He wasn't defending himself, right? He was defending the nation of Israel, God's people. I mean, how could this uncircumcised Philistine, this filth of the earth, come threaten us? We're God's people. I mean, the audacity, this, this young man, that's a child's heart, isn't it? How could anyone come against us? He had a righteous anger, an innocence in anger. Um, one time when I was a little boy, I had the story of David in a storybook. And back then you could get little cassette tapes. And you could play like the story along with it, and it would have music and sound effects, and then you could, you know, turn the page. You'd hear like a ding, and then you'd turn the page. And that was my favorite thing, that story. And when it came to that part, to that little section of scripture, that was my favorite, because like there were trumpets blowing, and you know, Goliath came out and gave his little spiel, and then David rose up, you know, and gave that. And uh, I, I listened to that thing hundreds of times, hundreds of times. I probably wore the tape out. I, the tape actually was real, like, scratchy, you know, by the time it was done, and just terrible sound. So anyway, we had this little park by our house that we would always walk to. It was in walking distance a couple blocks away. And my sister, Dalva, who was about, I think, six years older than me, she walked me to the park one day. And I, I must have been probably four years old, I imagine. And, uh, and this one bully of the neighborhood was there. His name was Chris Missler. Do you remember Chris Missler? <laughs> Sorry, Chris, if you're listening. You were a bully, though. So anyway, <laughs> so he would bully. And, and so he started bullying us. And, I, and he was threatening somehow. I can't remember all the details. But he was threatening my sister. And I can't remember if he was pushing her or maybe hitting her in some way. I, I think that's what the case was. Anyway, a righteous anger came over me. And do you know, I started quoting David's speech. <laughs> I come against you in the name of the God of the armies of Israel. I don't remember saying, I remember the situation. I remember the bully. I don't remember that part of it, but I do remember watching him run away. And then I remember, so then I came home. My sister brought me home. Mom, Mom, little Benji, he was like David, you know. They called me little Benji back then. So a little righteous anger came over me, you know, a little child. All I knew was the scripture, and I didn't, re- I didn't remember doing it. It happened without my knowing it. You know, it just was in me, and it came out. Another story, just maybe 10 years ago, we were at a, a harvest party, and uh, some friends of ours, some neighbors of ours, and maybe a few hundred people there. It's a big party. Well, out in their backyard, they ride four-wheelers and dirt bikes and stuff. And, you know, so they have, like, hills that they built, like, in a circle. You know, you could, like, jump and all this crazy stuff, you know. Well, all the little kids, they had all their bicycles and stuff. So they're, like, just riding the trail, you know, going over the hills nice and easy. Maybe, like, 20 or so kids from, like, you know, little kids on training wheels up to maybe 10-year-old. So they're riding. And this one neighbor, he was kind of a reckless guy. And for an example, he would ride a four-wheeler down our road with his little, like, two-year-old baby sitting on his lap, riding pop wheelies, we call it, you know, with no helmets. I'm like, we're like, dude, 
<laughs> what if you flip? I mean, you know, whatever. <laughs> so this guy, he decides to get on a, a motorbike. All these kids are riding their, you know, little, you know, BMX bikes, you know, whatever. All these. So he gets on a motorbike. And he just starts jumping on these jumps and, like, flying by, you know. And all these little kids are like, ah, you know. They're like just, like, flying everywhere almost. Well, I saw that. I, I think one of my sons was on a bike. I can't remember. Anyway, I see this happening maybe, like, 50 yards away. And my wife says that she was behind me and just saw my skin turn red. And I just, I ran over there. And I don't even remember what I said, but I just, I stopped it to say the least. I stopped him. And I remember him looking at me like, what, you know, shocked. And he just like ran home. Later, I ended up, you know, kind of apologizing to him. I didn't say anything, you know, negative, but I just wanted to know, hey, I'm not mad at you. I just, you know, that situation was dangerous. Somebody could have seriously got hurt. Anyway, I was defending the innocent. You know, something rose up within me. I didn't plan to do it. It just came over me. And there's been a few times in my life that I can remember something like that happening where a righteous anger comes over me, not to defend me, but to defend others. I'll give you one more story. It's fun. I used to coach basketball. So uh, during a basketball game, we, it was a Christian school, and we had another Christian team that we were playing, and only one referee could show up to ref the game. Well, refs got a hard time anyway, right? I mean, they just have to take it from all sides. Well, here's a guy just all by himself. If you know anything about basketball, you, know, you need a few sets of eyes. I, you know, to, to make sure everything's going on. It's a tough sport. You know, the calls matter, win or lose. So the other crowd, the other team was just getting on this guy. And this, was, this ref was one of the nicest guys you could have known. You know, just a very humble guy, just always, you know, just a very faithful type of a guy. So they're just getting on him. Ref, you're, are you an idiot? You know, all this stuff, all this stuff. Kept going, kept going, kept going. And there's a Christian people, you know, whatever. So... <laughs> And, and right in the middle of the game, you know, sometimes I embarrass myself. But that righteous anger came. I'm like, not now, Lord, you know. So I stopped the whole game, you know. And I'm like, I had to tell those people, hey, this, you know, and this guy's all by himself. You know, let's give him some respect. You know, aren't we Christian people here and all this stuff, you know. And, and they were, you know, we're, you know, we're wrong. And then that guy came up to me afterwards and just thanked me, you know, hey, thanks for watching out for me. I appreciate that. You know, that was a difficult situation. I didn't know what to do. And. But anyway, I was, I was defending someone who was defenseless, and uh, it just came over me. And that's what happened, I believe, to David, right? So he had a righteous innocence and anger. He also respected godly authority, didn't he? Even just think about when David was tending sheep. You know, those are his father's sheep. Now, we know David has a good reputation of just being a good shepherd. Uh, one thing I could throw out, one evidence that we have is... Uh, you remember when his father sent him from the, from the fields to take his brother's food, you know, to the battle? Say, hey, go, go take all these cheeses and whatnot, you know, to your brothers. You know, see what's going on. See how they're doing. Well, there's a little verse in there, a little sentence that says, well, he left his flock in the care of another shepherd. Think about that. So he even had, he was mindful of those sheep, wasn't he? He, he wanted to make sure that they were tended. In fact, even uh, another part of the story um, that after David was anointed, which we'll talk about that in a minute, by Samuel, he actually went to Saul. I don't know if you, you know, the, the, you don't hear this a lot in the story, but he went to Saul and he played an instrument for Saul. Back, and he went back and forth from Saul to the sheep. 
Saul to the sheep. He said he went back and forth because he always wanted to make sure that those sheep were taken care of. So he was faithful in the, in the job that his father had given him. He was also faithful to Saul, wasn't he? Even when Saul wanted to kill him. He said, far be it for me to touch God's anointed because God, Saul was anointed king. He wouldn't do anything to harm God's anointed. He respected that godly authority. That's having a heart after God. So we need to have a heart after God, right? So that's the first key to David's success, having a heart after God. The second key is God anointed David with the Holy Spirit. Think about that. David was just a shepherd boy with a pure heart until God anointed him with the Holy Spirit. Let's read the, the next scripture, 1 Samuel 16, verse 13. So let's find out what happened when Samuel anointed David. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. It's a very small little verse. Seems inconsequential, right? But what's the power behind it? The Spirit of God rushed upon David from that day forward. Do you think that made a difference? When's the other time we hear about the Spirit of God rushing upon some people? Anybody know? Day of Pentecost. Same word. Rushed. It filled the place. Boom. So... Here David was just a shepherd. We know he was faithful. We know he had a heart after God. That's all the scripture says about him when he was before this moment. Now, the the story kind of drops off and says, And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. All right, now we have no idea between this end of this verse and the very next verse, verse 14, uh, which it's not on here, I don't believe. But something happened. It goes back now to Saul. And it says the Spirit of the Lord left Saul. And God allowed an evil spirit to come and oppress Saul. And Saul was in torment. And so what he would do, he said, I need somebody skilled in music to come play for me to help alleviate this oppression. And so what happens? So in verse, we'll pick up in verse 18. And one of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. So now after David was anointed with oil and the Holy Spirit came upon him, what started happening in his life? Well, we, we don't know exactly, but we do know the description of it. Skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. So something happened to this young man. Something happened. God was moving in his life, changing his everyday life, so now his reputation was going before him. People were saying, 
something's on that kid. You know, this kid, he's rising to the top. I mean, we respect this guy. And it doesn't tell us what happened, but it says what his character was, what his reputation was. God was moving by the power of the Holy Spirit. We also know that the, uh, a prophetic anointing came upon him, right? I mean, he started writing the Psalms. If you read, uh, I think, Psalms 144, and he, and he, where it's a psalm of David. And I believe, just by reading it, I think that, that that psalm came to him while he was still a shepherd before Goliath and all these things. If you read it, it just sounds like it, you know, he talks about things. But in it, he says, you have taught my hands to war. So we know he didn't know how to fight before God. It was God, through his spirit, that taught David's hands to war. To fight. To be brave. To have power. To, to have prophetic music. Now, he, he might have been able to play the harp before. Boom, but now he's playing like songs of the Lord, prophesying about Jesus, you know, thousands of years later, the end times. Whoa. Now that's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's awesome. And then we obviously know that he was anointed to be king that day. That spirit came on him to make him king, to make him a prophet, right? Let's read uh, the next scripture is uh, 1 Samuel 17, 31 through 37. This is what God's Spirit did for David. He was able to do this. You know, because a normal boy, teenager of sorts, doesn't stand in front of a king saying what he's saying here. When the words of David's, that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him, Goliath. Your servant, me, I'll go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You're just a kid. But he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who has delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. You can't argue with that, can you? If a kid is saying, hey, I grabbed a lion by the face and killed it. That's not normal. I don't know about you. Uh, you know, you know if, maybe a dog. You know, I've had to stand up against a couple dogs, but still you're like, you know, a little bit scared, you know. But here's a young boy, and it says God delivered him. God gave him that power. It was after the Holy Spirit came upon him. Now he had the power, the strength, along with the, a clean heart, a heart of faith, to stand up and be faithful with what the work God called him to do at that time was to take care of the sheep. And if something was going to destroy the sheep, he's going to destroy that something through God's power. And he was able to grab a hold of a bear. And he was able to grab a hold of a lion. And because he was faithful in those things, trusting in God through his everyday, out in the middle of nowhere, 
no, where no one could see him, where no one even knew or heard of this, he did what was right. He walked in God's power, and that led him to a place where he could stand before a king and stand before a giant and say, God will prevail, and I can do what God says that I can do. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, do you know that Jesus received the Holy Spirit in a similar way? Think about that. Jesus received the Holy Spirit. Acts 10, 38 says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Now, when did Jesus receive the Holy Spirit in a similar way? When he was baptized by John the Baptist. Doesn't it say that? The Spirit came and descended on him. And then what did he start doing? He never did a miracle in his whole life. Never healed anybody. Never had power. He was obviously God, right? I mean, we don't deny that at all. He was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. But to do the work to do the power that God had, the mission that God had called him to do, he had to receive power from on high, just like David had to do, just like we have to do. But the power of the Spirit, it says, came on Jesus, and then he went into the wilderness to be tested of the devil. He came out in power, it says, and he went and healed and preached and taught and delivered, went about doing good. We need power to do good. I don't know about you, but I don't feel like in myself I can do much good. I need God's power to help me. I don't feel like I have a lot of gifts or abilities, you know, in and of myself. But with God's power, boy, what can we do? What can we accomplish? What lives can we reach out and touch? Make a difference for the kingdom of God, right? Jesus went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Obviously, God was in him. If you're a believer, obviously, God's in you, right? You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. But there's a difference when the Holy Spirit rushes upon you, empowers you, and is with you to do what he's called you to do. And we see that in our last scripture here is in Acts 1, chapter 1, where Jesus specifically, so we we see David received it, Jesus received it, and then what does he tell his disciples in chapter 1 of Acts? Is it there? Uh, I don't think I have it, or I do have it up there. Wait in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. To do what? To be my witnesses all over the whole earth. Witnesses. What does a witness mean? A witness means, yeah, I've seen it. I'm a, I've been a part of it, and I testify that this is what it looks like, right? If you're a witness to a crime, you saw the crime. You have intimate knowledge or details of that situation. So receive power from on high to be my witnesses. I have power to testify that Jesus came, lived, died, and rose again. And gave us Holy Spirit. Because that is a reality in my life. I'm a witness of that. And I have power to proclaim that. And when that day of Pentecost was fully come, and it says the Holy Spirit rushed into that place, 
Now, John the Baptist, he testified of Jesus, said, there's one coming more powerful than I who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So he calls it fire. Jesus calls it power. But what happened on the day of Pentecost when it was fully come? It filled that place like a mighty rushing wind, and fire came and sat on the people. Fire. And then what did the very next thing, what did they do? They were speaking in tongues, and they were then out on the street testifying, this is that, spoken by the prophet Joel. This is that. What you see here, and people are like, "Why these people are crazy. They're drunk. We don't know. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. We're not drunk. This is God showing up with people, changing lives. 3,000 people got saved. I mean, it's like a landslide of God's power of changing lives. The Holy Spirit. Mm. So most importantly, we're going to close, wrap it up with this. Have a heart after God. I shared in the earlier service, do you all know the story of Jacob wrestling with God? You know, he was wrestling with God to get a blessing from God. I'm not going to let go until you bless me, Lord. And I've been there. I've, I've said that. I'm not letting go of you, God. I want to be blessed. I want your power. You know, I, I want. But I think sometimes God's wrestling with us. And he's saying, let go of your pain. Let go of your pride. I'm not letting go of you until you let go of that, until your heart's broken before me. You know, we hold on to the bitterness or the anger or the hurt, the wounds, the pain, the addictions, the corruptions, the things that make us feel good. We, we hold, we, no, God, no, no. He's wrestling with us. Give it up, give it up, give it up. No, Lord, no, no, Lord. That, that's what I'm holding on to. I can't lose it. No, don't be like the rich young ruler. Give it up. It's not worth it. Let it go. Just give it all to God. He wants, he wants to give you the Holy Spirit, his power, but you got to have that right heart before him. And then once you give that to the Lord, ask for all he's got. Then ask for all he's got. Ask for the Holy Spirit, that he would come upon you, that he would be with you, that he would empower you, not only to teach you in your heart, to lead you every step of the way, but we got work to do, right? right. We got a job to do. We got a devil to beat. We got a world to conquer. We got a witness to the world to preach the gospel. We got sick people to get healed. You know, we got stuff to do, I think. Even in our own lives, we got stuff needs to be broken by power that can only break stuff. You know, let's not do it ourselves. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we just ask for your mercy, Lord. Father, I know I've had to even I've had to get my own heart right with you this week. Lord, I don't want to hold on to the things that have been separating me from you any longer. I want my heart to be a heart after your heart, Lord. I want to do your will. When you speak, I want to be known as someone who obeys. 
Lord, when your eyes are looking to and fro, I want to be the one that they see. My heart's right, Lord. I'm not going to hang on to the world any longer. No, Lord, I'm not going to have those possessions any longer and they're keeping me from your presence. My heart's laid open before you, Lord. Nothing else is worth it, Lord. Maybe you're here today and there's just there's something in your heart that's been binding that heart. You know, yeah, yeah God's been dealing with me. I, I, I know I've been putting it off. No, today is the day of salvation, my friend. If there's anything in your heart that you need to give up to the Lord today so that you can be clean and free before him, today's the day. Come, come forward if you need prayer. We're going to pray with you. And today is going to be the day that you walk with a clean heart before the Lord. Heavenly Father, we want more of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we know that you're in us, but we need your power. We don't want to be a powerless church having to to figure it all out on our own. No, we want your power to show up and 3,000 be saved. We want your compassion to go forth and heal the sick, to not leave them broken and bound up and just sympathize with them. No, but to make a difference in their lives, Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit. We need your power to face the daily Goliaths, the daily lions and the bears that would try to keep us from the plans you have for us. So we ask for your Holy Spirit today. And maybe you haven't ever received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but your heart's right before God today, you know, and you find yourself in a place, yeah, I want want everything God has for me. I want to be baptized with fire. I want to have power in my life to be a witness to walk with God and to have him show up mightily in my life if that's you today and and you're hungry for that and you want that come forward we'll pray with you today Heavenly Father I just ask your blessing upon each person here that you keep them in your way that your angels surround them and protect them I pray that you would inspire them to go forth and be the people of God you've destined them to be. Lord, that this church would be a light to this community, that this church would share forth the truth to this community, that this would be a city on a hill that no one could deny that you're moving here because we put you first, Lord. May just rivers of living water flow from this place to turn the desert into a garden for you, Father. Father, bring each person back here next week. I ask your blessing upon them. In Jesus' name, amen.